0: Hello and welcome to Business Without the podcast brought to you by Ori Clark, straight-talking financial and legal advice since 1935. How about that? My name's Dominic Frisby, and alongside me today is my co-host and partner at Ori Clark, the founder of the legal arm of this multi-disciplined organization, Juliet Ori, who is on a mission to bring the fascinating business stories that the firm's clients are living to a wider audience with this podcast. Hello, Juliet. How are we doing? Who have we got on the show today?
1: Well, Hello, Dominic. I am tip top. Today's guest is my good friend and client, Hannah Barrett. Now, Hannah is a yoga instructor, a businesswoman, and an influential Instagram star with a following of over 360,000. Wow, wait. I know, that's pretty big, pretty big. Her transition from being a full-time actuary dom to a yoga instructor began in 2014 when she became a mother. But it was when Hannah had her second child that things really changed for her. After a traumatic birth, Hannah experienced postnatal depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, both of which she overcame through the practice of yoga and meditation. Now, Hannah is on a mission to share the incredible benefit of yoga worldwide. She runs live classes, has her own YouTube channel and has written 4 ebooks and has her very own yoga and meditation app, which apparently is bloody brilliant. She's still trying to convince me to get on it. But anyway, uh, we're in good company, Dom. Indeed. Hannah, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hi,
0: Julia. I, I've got a, I've got a question straight off the bat. <laughs> now I've been involved in Bitcoin for a long time, and you find that when somebody buys their first Bitcoin, they suddenly become really evangelical about Bitcoin and start trying to get everyone else to get into Bitcoin. And there's a really similar mental process that people who do yoga go through, which is you know they do it for themselves and they benefit from it. I've like one of my closest friends from school, the, the group of us who was the most successful of all of us in our sort of little group at school uh, and uh, earned so much money he was able to retire at the age of 47. Uh, What did he do? Oil trader. (laughs) (laughs) But then then became a yoga instructor, a vegan yoga instructor and is constantly trying to convert us all to being yoga practitioners. And so wherever we go and stay at his house, we all go skiing at, his, at one of his houses, his chalet in the Alps every year. And he we, he always makes us do yoga every morning. And, he's like, and I bet you feel good for it. Oh, of course we do. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, but what is it about yoga that makes people who practice yoga want to convert others to it as well? Okay. Firstly,
2: do, you know what do you know what I mean I know when exactly I I discuss- exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly what you mean. Firstly, can Julia, can you introduce me every time I walk into a room? Because that was amazing. <laughs> um, I just think, and I love um I love that. I'm not kind of the typical yoga instructor, as in I came from this kind of maths and actuary background. I don't think there are many. Yeah, what even is an actuary? Oh, my gosh. So (laughs) we value uncertain events. I think that's like the definition of it. You can go into different things. I used to work in pensions, and we would value pension schemes. So predicting when people were going to live, investment returns, that kind of thing. So put a value on a pension scheme. Obviously, a defined benefit scheme, not a pot of money that you then make into an annuity. Let's not talk about being an true though, <laughs> losing people there. But um, so I like, you know, I originally went to yoga to touch, be able to touch my toes. Like I was a real gym bunny, but I knew I needed to deal with my stress. And there's something that just draws you back again and again. And you may be, lots of people go for the physical benefits and for doing the kind of the the physical yoga practice. But then you it just gradually seeps into your life and it just, it's really transformational. And it sounds so cliche when I say that, but something just brings you back again and again. Like you've done yoga classes, you know how you feel. And it's a shame because you can go to yoga classes and be like, this is so rubbish, but you've just like, you know, you've got the wrong teacher, the wrong style. There's so many different teachers, so many different styles. There'll be something, you know, you, Juliet, you'd you'd absolutely love like a restorative yoga class, lots of cushions, like, you know, (laughs) you don't have to do any crazy poses. You can just chill and breathe and... You know, when was the last time you stopped and took a deep breath? Oh God, H, is this kind of, <laughs> yeah, just like sitting no, in. You have been really
1: kind, and I can see. Like I remember when you and I met, and you were obviously working in the city at at the time, and you obviously quit. Um, H, we share a few things. We have the same birthday. Oh, we do. Uh, we are born on the same day, and we have children the same ages, and we have a boy then a girl. And we met in baby class. But what I find hilarious is that's about it. <laughs> in the sense of H is that beautiful, you know, where's lycra looks amazing. I would look like a badly packed sausage, right? <laughs> and I'm a decade older. So so when you're like, come and do yoga, I'm like,
2: oh, cry. <laughs> Do you know what? It's, you've hit now on the head then, because that is a real problem, that it's like making it accessible for everyone, making it, you not feel like, oh my God, I, I don't a badly packed it. sausage. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> love that. But there are all these yoga myths, like you need to be flexible, you don't need to be flexible, you need to be young, you need to be skinny, you know, like all these kind of things that are just... You just Rubbish. need to show up. You just need a You need a body. Like, you can literally practice yoga from a chair. Actually, this is something that I do with a lot of corporates at the moment, I come in and do chair yoga, like 20-minute sessions where you just stop and breathe. You don't need to, you can literally be wearing your work clothes. You stop and breathe and you do some mindful movement. And it works really well.
1: I think, H, it always blows my mind because I know that you obviously studied maths, <laughs>
2: right? right? Maths and statistics.
1: Yeah, and got a first, right? And mm-hmm. you're like, You are not the most typical of what I would envisage studies, maths, right?
2: (laughs) I always got that. People judge me. And people actually used to call me a receptionist. (laughs) Like, we'd think I was a receptionist sometimes. And I'm like, no, no, no.
0: Yeah, I just think it's such a useful skill to have. You know, when a mathematician, and this is, I bet you this has got something to do with yoga, but there's, when you see something beautiful, so it might be a beautiful person or a beautiful landscape or a beautiful work of art, whatever it is, there's a, a part of the brain gets triggered. There's an a, emotion in one part of the... I think it's not the frontal cortex, or any one part of the brain. And so they've studied um, people who are admiring beautiful things and they found this one region of the brain is... activity is stimulated there. And I wonder if it's a similar stimulation that happens when you do yoga. But when a mathematician see solves a puzzle or sees a really good equation or sees a really beautiful formula of some kind, The there's a, the, exactly the same emotion is triggered and exactly the same activity in the brain happens.
2: That's so strange. That's, yeah. that's really interesting.
0: I, I went to drama school, so we used to do loads of sun salutations with at drama school and I used to like them and they always did, used to make you feel good. And mm-hmm. uh, we'd always start, when we had a movement class, we'd start doing that. And then I had my ludicrously successful and rich friend shoving yoga classes on Zoom down my throat all through the lockdown, which I quite enjoyed. And then at some point I got dropped from the WhatsApp group. I don't quite know why, (laughs) but I I must confess to being slightly relieved. But tell me why, what what kind of yoga, I'm 51, my body is pretty much given up on me. And I blame it up on the lockdown, by the way, because it yeah. I was a...
2: a, a, a I, I'm still, my body's struggling with the lockdown as well. Just too much sitting, not enough moving. Yeah, yeah, it's really common. It's, yeah, you're not alone. Also, everyone's got this forward head posture. Yeah. All got bad, you know. Yeah, that's looking from at looking, at, looking at computers, isn't it? And, you know, funnily enough, everyone always thinks that um, you've got to have a good posture all the time because you're not going to get any pain if you do. And it's it's not quite true because actually you need to move your body in all different ways, And the research actually is showing that posture doesn't necessarily relate with pain. That's the research though and- You're kidding Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily. It can, but not necessarily. However, bad posture leads to non-optimal breathing and that, you know, that is huge. If you don't breathe properly, like you get anxiety, like there are a whole host of things that happen. So good posture is good for your breath.
0: So where do I start?
2: Okay, where do sorry, that was the question. Where do you start? So I always say, and I've got um. So as Juliet said, I've got my own yoga app, and I have do these challenges each month. And I did this challenge at the end of last year um, for everyone. So literally, I kind of I designed it in in the mind that my mum could do it, who doesn't really move her body and has never done yoga but they're like 10 minutes. So I would say to start, get a yoga habit. Start like 10 minutes a day or maybe 10 minutes every other day, but try and make it more than once a week because then it's harder to make a habit. Um, And do some like gentle mindful movement Like, and try different things out. There's so many things on YouTube as well. Like there's so much free stuff out there now. Um, but the, the, the reset challenge that I um, designed was like showing you little bits of everything. So one day we do sun salutations, one day we do a restorative flow, one day we do a flow to open the heart or open the hips or strengthen the legs and the glutes and like just kind of move around the body. And then it enables you to f- have more awareness of your body and what you need. And funnily enough, usually the things that we shy away from, we need. So for instance, if I went to the gym, like legs, I hate working at my legs, but it's because I probably need to do it. So they usually say people shy away from the yoga postures that they probably need in mm. their lives. But you'll probably realise, say for example, that you you're really tight chested because you're you're hunched a lot over your desk. So I'm not I'm not saying that. No, either. I am. You're thinking, but,
0: but I'm not taking it personally.
2: <laughs> and then hips. Everyone has really tight hip flexors, and we sit all day, so our glutes are lengthened, so we don't use our glutes, and then they don't fire pot properly, and we get this thing called gluteal amnesia. And then as you were saying, we were talking before we started recording um, that Dominic has weak feet and that's caused all these issues up your legs and your ankles and your broken ankles other muscles take over so for example if your glutes stop working then all the rest you know other muscles in your body take over and that can lead to pain.
0: Mm. Should we talk about your second childbirth and how how that went and, and how you how and why you got into yoga after that?
2: So yes my second baby baby Amelie so at the point I fell pregnant with her, I just qualified as a yoga teacher and I did a year's training um, to qualify. So I, I'd been teaching from six months of that training. So I'd be teaching for a while anyway. So I fell pregnant and we both had small babies, didn't we? My was in first baby it was small. So when your first baby's small, you get a bit more monitoring with your second baby. And then the monitoring more turned into, oh, we're a bit worried. Oh, we're more worried. Okay. We're, we're really worried now. Something, something's not right. And so we I just remember having scan after scan and each time everyone got a bit more serious and there was then a time where they were like, okay, you can't leave the hospital until you you see a consultant. So me and my husband go and see this consultant um, and they're like, okay, well, we don't think your placenta is working, but you're going to have to have the baby. So I was just 34 plus something at this point. So like you're going to have the baby between 35 and 37 weeks. We're not going to let you go later than that. I think this is right. Um, And you know, basically get ready to have your baby. So then we go home, we've got the hospital bag, get, you know, think, okay, well, let's get ready. And they're going to monitor me. And they're oh, they were going to scan me on the Monday. So this was on the Friday. They are going to scan me on the Monday, um, like a real proper scan and just check everything it was fine. And then I went to bed and then I woke up and I thought I was having miscarriage. That was like, literally, it was, it was awful. It was terrifying. And I rushed off in a hospital, in, in an ambulance and, um, and they were like, well, you've had a partial placental abruption. And the risk then is that if it was fully abrupted, both me and Amelie could have died. So they were like, the baby needs to come out. We think you'll be okay having a natural birth. So we're going to induce you because the, and it was funny because my husband was always so like, he always was really into the thought of having a cesarean. I think this is like mass brain again. He's like the lowest risk of something going wrong with you and the baby, But anyway, we then sat down with this consultant who explained the benefits of having a natural birth on a premature baby in particular. And he was like, okay, yeah, he was on board at that point. So then I got induced and then waited the 24 hours and then got examined and then started bleeding again. Then I was priority to go into the labor ward and it was all really scary. And I'd had this like, magical hypnobirthing, like a textbook birth of my son in the birth center in a pool, like everything had gone to Mm -hmm. plan. And it was literally, turned into the opposite. And I was terrified and I was like, and I like all this kind of yoga breathing massively helped and it definitely got me through it. But like, it was definitely more painful with Amelie than it was with Jack. Purely because of the fear, and they say with the fear factor and giving birth that you just you're you're clenching up is just not what you want you you want your body to do. But anyway, then they go into the the room and the doctor breaks my waters. She's like, because I just was like, oh my god, I'm going to have to have a C-section. Why am I bleeding? Like, what's going on? I was terrified. But she was like, we'll break your waters. We'll see what the waters look like, and then we'll know. And she was like, your waters look fine. Literally, as soon as she'd broken my waters, like an hour later, I was holding Emily. Like it was so quick, so quick to the point where I'm like, I, it was started happening where she was transitioning and the the nurse literally yelled at me, get on the bed, don't start pushing, runs out the door. It's like, we need a neonatal doctor in here now. And then literally like one push later, she's, she was there. So it was all, and then, so it was all fine. She was all okay, all being monitored. And then we went into a room and me and Charles were just like, she's so small, she wasn't feeding. And then literally like five minutes later, he the the, the midwife who delivered her was like, You shouldn't be in here, she should be in NICU, what's going on? And what's then NICU? neonatal intensive care. And she then had a week of battling sepsis. She couldn't eat, she couldn't breathe, you know. Um they hadn't told me that she'd had to go up into this, I think it's called CPAP. And they turned her on her tummy and I got to her and she was vibrating. And I thought she was having a fit, but it was the type of ventilator they had her on because they were trying to clear her lungs. So I was like, Oh my God, like, can someone help me? Something's happening. And they're like, Oh no, sorry. They should have told you we've changed. And I was just like, Oh my God. And I was literally going in because I thought I was going to hold her for the first time. And then I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to hold her and she was looking like that. So it was awful, and then at one stage they were like, "Oh, there's been a funny brain scan, oh. like might be," and we were just like, "Oh God!" But it's it's weird because it at the time you're just like you have to get through it, and you don't think like you don't want to think about worst case scenario. You just you just it's it's literally like one second at a time, and the doctors treat it like that as well. Um it wasn't until afterwards that it hit me and I was just like, Oh my god, I'm 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 not okay. That was that was terrifying. And she's fine now. You know her. Like she, she's amazing. You she's would amazing. like you would just not even know she was a primary baby. She's just like she's such a fighter. I think she's got that little that in her from that experience. But yeah, anyway. So it was it was traumatic.
0: I'll say. And I mean I've got in my notes here that you were diagnosed with postnatal depression, post-traumatic stress disorder afterwards. I'm not surprised.
2: Yeah, it you just it's a funny thing though because you walk out that hospital with your baby and you walk out with a baby and it, it's so many people like really sadly don't get to do that. So you you bury everything because you're like I shouldn't be struggling because I have a baby. Do you know what I mean? So I was that was what I was feeling until you know, she had horrendous reflux. Didn't sleep. We would vomit every meal. Like feeding her took an hour and a half. I was she couldn't drink from me, so I was expressing six times a day, and all these things. Now I look back and I'm like, oh, that's God. that sounds pretty tricky. It
0: does, um, but I think we as humans we like to control things. We like to know we're in control. There's like a psychological study where if you arrive at a train station and it says on the board that your train is in eight minutes. So you know that your train is in eight minutes, you are happier than if you arrive at the station and you don't know when the next train is, even though, even if the next train comes in four minutes, so your train is, you know, half as early, you still end up unhappier because with the eight minutes, you had that
3: you know feeling you, of, yeah. of
0: control. But in fact, you have absolutely no control because the trains are going to come when it comes and there's nothing you can do about it. So, but there's this, it's a sort of psychological thing. And I think with birth, you know, at the individual level of the the mum having the kid, you want to feel in control, and then the hospital wants everyone's all the money. It's all part of this same thing of everyone wanting to be in control. But actually, it's mother nature. The child does what it's going to do, and yeah. there's not a lot anyone can do about it. Do, 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 yeah, do, no, do, I
2: completely. Yeah, I did. I have a whole thing with control. <laughs> like, I do, we need control. We do need control yeah. when we don't have it, and we have to, you know, go with the flow and just. Let it out. let nature do its thing. It's it can be scary. And it's hard
0: for humans to just, you know, you are nature's vessel.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we are tricky. I think
1: birth is the most amazing thing. Um, I think going through it, being able to have all of that, I think people are really fearful. And I remember being fearful. So, you know, when you haven't done it before, you hear all the stories like what you were alluding to. You know, Hannah and I met through. The, the National Child Birth Association, you know, classes, and they start putting the fear of God up you yeah, on some of the, the whole... things and how beautiful it will be in all of that. And you're not prepared for... No, birth, the for the other, I think the
0: other thing is that because we have smaller families and our families are more disparate and we have kids later in life, we just have less contact Like, you know, when we were only living for 40 years old and people were having kids from the age of 15 and we were all in one little tribe, whatever, you'd see people giving birth all the time. So you would be more in touch with the birthing experience. But, you know, a lot of the time now there'll be a... a, 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 I mean, when my first son was born when I was 30 and I'd never held a baby before. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's this sort of fear of the unknown.
2: Yeah.
0: That wouldn't be unknown if we were in a... You know, our little tribe of 150 having kids from the age of 15. It but there, more, there's also more, another normalised. there's
2: another element as well is that people love to tell you the horror stories. So not only is the yeah. fear of the unknown, but you, invariably the stories you hear of when it goes wrong. Yeah. Um. Actually, it's another thing I'm really passionate about because the only kind of thing that I have a, on my blog on my website at the moment that I need to get a bit better at is I have like a positive birth story blog. And it's not just kind of like, you know, the the birth like Jack was like in terms of water birth and perfect. Like I have Amelie's on there because it is a positive birth experience at the end of the day. And there are C-section ones there as well. Like, because, you know, you just want people to share stories of it it actually going well, to take the fear away because you don't want to go into it being scared.
0: And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify so that you never miss an episode. And now, here's a quick word from our sponsor.
3: At ulrich Clark, we understand that many of our clients want to be better informed about the issues they face, but don't have the time to wade through all of the legalese and accounting jargon to get there. We know that people love our easy to read quick guides on the most common problems facing our clients. And if you're here, then you probably like podcasts. So we thought, why not combine the two and make it even easier for people to access the knowledge of our team of multidisciplinary experts. Recently, Dominic Frisby sat down with Simon Walsh and Casey Lee Nielsen to talk about GDPR, data privacy, and protection.
0: We live in a world where GDPR is a reality but it was one of those controversial arguments around about the time when Brexit was going on, I remember. Was the world a better place before GDPR was imposed?
2: Um, I don't think so, no. I think it's better now that it is in place because it's making businesses operate better. So for example, instead of just harnessing so much data and data that you're never going to use, it's an expense for you to store it all, Um, it's better for a business to realize the core data that they actually need for their business and focusing on that.
0: I personally find it, I mean, you described it initially as a nightmare. Just as a punter, I don't offer any service to Europe, but every time I go on a website now I need to seem to click and accept a million cookies and various American websites won't have me on their website altogether. So personally, it seems like it's made life more complicated.
3: I mean, it's interesting question, Don, because I think people often forget this, but. Cookies are governed by another bit of legislation. Um, So there are these things called the privacy and uh, electronic communication regulations. Uh, Lawyers love acronyms, so we just call it PECA. But essentially, cookies are governed by um, privacy regulations rather than GDPR. But both PECA and GDPR sit side by side. You can find our audio quick guides in the resource library at auriclark.com or search for Auriclark Quick Guides wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So, H, one of the things that I want to chat about is the fact that one, I think it is utterly amazing, and I have to recognize that you have gone from city-living, a very traditional, very bizarre job, right? To now living. Um, your dreams to some extent I would say or this was the thing and I have watched kind of over the decade you you transition into into what you are not that you've necessarily changed that sounds like you're a totally different person but I definitely think you are much more relaxed and able to deal and have developed tools that we all need or should adopt, like your reference that I must, you know, take a moment. Yes, I definitely need to. Um, but I guess for me, you know, we met and you started down this journey. You have now built this following on Instagram. Instagram blows my mind. <laughs> and I only signed up to Instagram because you told me, get on it and have a look. And I was like, okay, I will. Did I? And- yes! <laughs> And yes, that's that's another thing I've learned from you. And you now have 360,000,
2: more than that, but 360,000 people What Can I tell you how it started? Because I didn't want to actually do an Instagram account. So I was, um, I must have been going through my teacher training. And I, I literally, I can remember it so vividly. Giles, my husband, comes into the kitchen. And we I don't know why we started talking about it, but he was like, you should start an Instagram account. And I was like... Ooh, no, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, I don't, I don't know. Because I I hate having my photo taken. Um, and I didn't, I, when I thought about Instagram, I just thought about these beautiful photos. And I was like, I don't look like that. I can't get my body into those crazy prexel shapes. And then um, he was like, just do it. You can do videos. And then I was like, well, what, I, I don't want to call myself my name. Oh, because I wasn't my name at first. Sorry, you might not know that. So uh, we came up with this Yoga Girl London. He came up with this idea. So I started this account and it was very much like, I was like, right, I'm going to post videos. I'm going to show people how to do the things that I've always wanted to do and give you tips and hints and stuff, because I thought at that stage, like that's what was kind of missing on the platform. And then it just got to this silly thing. I was like, oh my God, I've got a thousand followers. And, and Giles said to me, oh, tell me, when you've got like 10,000, you know, just joking. And I was like, I've got 10,000 followers. And he was like, okay, tell me when you've got 20. And then he was, and then it got to 60. And I was like, oh my God, you can feel him. Like, this is ridiculous. And then at that point we stopped, we stopped kind of like talking about it. And then I, all I wanted to do like at that stage, I was like, oh, I really want to get to like quarter of a million because that's like, that's crazy. And then it just, and then it just got, yeah, got a bit crazy. And it continues to increase. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I found that this last year, I have like it's been tricky because time has been so precious. There's been less time with lockdowns and having to look after the kids and starting the app. And I've just had less time for it than I have done before. I think, I suppose my priorities have changed. Like I still like it, but I love this community I've built with my app. And um, there are other things that I have, like, you know, when you know how it is with when you have little time, like what, where can you put your energy into? So I think at the moment I'm putting less energy into Instagram just because I, I don't have the time. And more into your app? More into, yeah. So into my app and into my live classes and into the book and like... It's just all about having purpose and why am I doing what I'm doing and I'm doing what I'm doing because I want to help people feel less alone. I want to, feel, to help people feel happier, feel less stressed. I remember how it was when I used to work in a city and work crazy hours and just not have that balance in life and not feel like I was really like enjoying it because I didn't have time to enjoy it. And I was so stressed all the time and I want to help people not feel like that. So, you know, I think... It, for me, because I kind of had an established brand at the beginning of last year, actually, and I rebranded. So I went from being Yoga Girl London to Hannah Barrett Yoga because um, because I wanted to write this book and I wanted people to know my name because people knew me as like Yoga Girl London. I'm like, oh, what, what is her name? So I rebranded at the start of the year and then obviously everything happened with coronavirus. And because I had an established brand, like... I just kind of like skyrocketed at the beginning because everyone was like, oh my God, I want, you know, we need to do at-home fitness, everything's closed. Like, so it did really well. And I, um, I really got into my YouTube account at that point as well to try and grow that following. But the issue that happened is then everyone became fitness instructors, or everyone that was fitness instructors or yoga teachers or whoever you were, everyone had to go online. So then it became really crowded marketplace because everyone was offering these live classes, these, you know, so it. Um, it's been great because there's been so much selection, but it's really hard being a yoga teacher in the time because everyone's online and, mm. you know, you're battling between them. So I didn't really, I did some live classes at the beginning of last year, but with brands like free live classes on their Instagram, but I didn't start live classes properly until September. And it's been really good for me actually because lots of people actually follow me from America. So now I can actually, people can take my classes from America, which is incredible. But anyways, it's it's been challenging. But then I agree, everybody has
1: gone online and therefore it is working through. But I assume there will be a drop in terms of people will go off the idea, people go back to normality, don't want to do this anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think think obviously you'll have some people, like you were saying, who were like, yeah, I'm going to go straight back to the studios, go straight back to the gym, but some people are going to take a little bit more time. And like people with yoga, I think the thing that made me fall in love with it as well is you can literally like, I could roll out my mat here and do yoga practice here. I'm not going to. Oh, <laughs> I, didn't wow. bring, I didn't bring my yoga mat. You look really excited then. But you can literally do it anywhere. So like, I love this idea of self-practice and doing, you know, one of the reasons I brought out the app as well is because you, you can literally take me anywhere and, you know, have a lesson from where, wherever you are.
0: And uh, tell us about your book that you're publishing with Quadrille.
2: So it. I don't know if I can announce the name to you guys yet, but it's a book for everyone. This is a book called Perfect For You, Julia. It's got, you know, it's, it's got those tools to make everyone calmer, to make everyone happier. It's for everyone. There are flows, but like simple flows, we break it down, give modifications, but it's more than that. It's more than the movement. It's, it's ways to bring yoga into your life off the yoga mat. So that we talk about journaling, there are breathing exercises, there's meditation, there's thinking about, um, the words we speak and the words that are spoken to us and how to digest that and just to basically just live a calmer, stronger, happier life.
0: Would you like me to teach you the yoga exercise, breathing exercise that we were taught at drama school by one of our speech teachers? Yes, go on. So you take your thumb and your two two fingers and you put your two fingers on your forehead Uh, sort of probably just above your eyebrows, somewhere around there, and then you put your thumb on the side of your nose uh, so that you're pushing in one of the nostrils, and you breathe in through the nostril, and then you use another of your fingers. You take your thumb off the nostril and, and use the other finger to block the nostril that you just breathed in through, and then you breathe out through the other nostril like that. So you go...
1: What age were you taught that?
0: About twenty-one, but and, I'm, it's and then really you do that repeatedly. You. Yeah, you re- do that repeatedly, and then you change nostrils. I had to d- describe that, that like that, even though you got strangulated, so that the listener at home could practice the same.
2: It's called Nadi Shodhana; it's alternate nostril breathing, and it's like to clear and balance the body. It's,
0: it's very effective.
2: Yeah, it's really effective.
0: Just do that five times on each nostril; I'll sort you right out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: will it make sure my body doesn't collapse
0: yeah something like that okay okay so let's come to our sort of generic questions that we come as we near the end of an interview what are you most excited about hannah for the future of your business
2: oh i'm i'm there are so many things i'm really excited about i'm really excited i've got some um really exciting things happening with the app i've got um I think I can say this, but I'm headlining Wonderlust Festival, which is happening in July. So it's going to be 5,000 people and it's going to be in real life, which is amazing. So that is like the biggest class I will have taught. And just getting everyone back together will be incredible.
0: Headlining.
2: Oh god, yoga headlining. That's oh,
0: in the yoga tent.
2: <laughs> in the yoga No, so, in the They've got like a main stage and I'm going to be the yoga I'm going to do the yoga class oh, um, a with someone else so I can't mention yet cuz they're not confirmed but they're incredible as well. So, it's going to that that I'm really excited about. But and also I want to get more into companies as well and help people like I know I would have been a better actuary now with my yoga training, with all the things I know. I know I would have done my job better. So I wanna figure out how I can help corporates give their employees what they need to be able to do their jobs better and have more balance and have a happier life so they're not gonna leave or be, become run down or become ill or whatever. I want to help people get more connected with their life because we are so we can be so unconnected, so unpresent, and we are happier when we are more present and connected and we don't have all this mind wandering.
1: H, if there is one thing in the world you could
2: change over the next five years, what would it be? Okay, I'm going to give an answer, and I think it's going to be different to what norm, pe- people normally say, because I know you have different people on here to, to maybe me. Um, I'm, and my answer is love, Okay bear with me. Um, People need more love. And this this goes towards yourself, like self-care. Like when was the last time you did something just for you and you didn't feel guilty about it? And you were like, I'm just going to take this 20 minutes, 30 minutes to do X, Y, and Z. Like, think about that. Think about the message it gives to your children. So you need to look after yourself to give these messages. And it doesn't have to be children. It can be friends. It can be family or whatever. But it's like with the yoga practice, you think about like planting these positive seeds and your behaviour, your modelling, how you want other people to do things. And you need to look after yourself because you want other people to look after yourself. If you said to me, oh my God, I haven't had any time to myself, I'd be like, go and do it. And you'd say the same thing to me. But we never give ourselves that love that we'd give other people. So let's, yeah, let's let's keep it like that. Self-care, self-love.
0: Hannah, what is business and what is bullshit? <laughs>
2: such a serious look. Um, I So business for me is like passion and purpose and helping people. Because if you're not doing that, then what is the friggin' point of, of doing it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he likes that. <laughs> and what
0: is bullshit?
2: In authenticity. Like not being authentic with yourself, just saying things for the sake of it. Not understanding yourself, not believing in yourself, not listening to what you truly believe and not speaking up. You know, speak speak up for yourself for what you believe in and and cut the crap
0: <laughs> Hannah if people want to find out more about you and what you do how would they do that
2: come and find my website hannabarrettyoga.com instagram Hannah Barrett Yoga. app Hannah Barrett Yoga. <laughs> like google Hannah Barrett Yoga, and you'll find me basically
0: so there you have it we are now at the end of this week's episode of business without <laughs> thank you very much to our guest Hannah Barrett uh, for joining us a big thank you To my co-host, Juliet Horry. And a big thank you to you, dear listener, for lasting this far. We'll be back with another episode uh, next week. In the meantime, please give us a nice review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember to follow us on Instagram. We're not at 360,000 followers yet, but we will be. Um, Twitter, Facebook, our handle is at... Biz without BS, that is B-I-Z without BS, where you'll find more helpful business content. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, by searching for us using the hashtags Biz without BS and hashtag Aury Clark, spelled O-U-R-Y Clark. Once again, thank you very much. I've been Dominic Frisbee, cheerio.
3: Business without B-X is brought to you by Ori Clark. We've been helping individuals and businesses cut through red tape in order to prosper since 1935. To find out how our team of multidisciplinary experts can help you, whatever your needs, email us at contact at auriclark.com. That is contact at O-U-R-Y-C-L-A-R-K or via our website. Auriclark, you provide the questions, we'll give you an answer.